You're listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. Check us out online at southmetroministries.com. Now, let's join in on worship and the word. Spectacular. Short of the title of the sermon. Yes. Now help me praise the Lord. title of the sermon is, let me tell you about my grandson. That's the button I got on right here. His name, of course, this will be the son of Pastor J.C. and my daughter Kimberly. And uh, I just anointed to preach this for a moment. Seven pounds, three ounces, 20.5 inches. His name is Lakeland James Worley. Lakeland James Worley. And you can tell by that skin complexion, he looks like his grandpa. Yeah, that's what I wanted you to do. Ah, oh. We'll pray about that Bulldog logo on the top of his cap. But I like them too. Oh, so, so you should see Mr. Reverend James Worley. You got to get him off the clouds. He's up in the twilight zone. Kimberly, we all had a crying, happy crying spell on Friday evening. And there is a couple and there's that bundle of joy, seven pounds, three ounces. And if you're looking for grandma, she ain't nowhere near grandpa. <laughs> Grandma's at the hospital today, and I called her between the services, and I said, put the phone to the baby's ear. I've got to talk to him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got season open tickets for the Braves, and, well, we don't yet, but if we need to, we will. God's good, isn't he? God's good, and I wanted you to share my joy, our joy. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you, Jesus. Would you take your Bibles as you remain standing, if you can, and go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. I have a a very familiar account of a miracle done by Jesus that many of you could tell it as far as telling it without reading it. Children who grew up in Sunday school, even a five-year-old who'd been in church from infancy who've heard this story would hear it more than once and they could tell it. But the Holy Spirit, after this week of prayer and fasting, led me... To prepare you for your miracle after you have sought the Lord through this account beginning in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 5. Pardon me, verse 35. And it reads as follows, and you follow with me as I read out loud. It says, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away, meaning send the crowd away. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy bread themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denaro worth of bread and give them something to eat? I mean, even we, let me just pause here. Even if we had that money, it wouldn't be enough. So they're sort of sarcastic. Oh, who you, I mean, we can't give them anything to eat. We don't have the money, number one. And number two, there's no place to buy it if we did. Verse 38. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set them before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And they all ate and they were, what? Filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. 
Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. I want to take that and build on this thought. Grounds for a miracle. Conditions. Conditions for a miracle. Point your hand this way. Would you say a prayer over me, would you? It'll help me and it will help you that we have come together. Father, I thank you for the miracles that 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 have already been fertilized on the soil of this worship. I thank you for the miracles that are blossoming right now, O God, because the saints have worshipped God. Father, don't let it be hard for them to listen. Don't let it be hard for them to pay attention. Don't let it be hard for me to preach. Let angels come and just tarry among us. Oh God, you are the God of the resurrection and the life. And I thank you for every worshiper today. And I just pray you release the joy of the Lord and the hope that we need for our miracles. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And you may be seated. You know, brothers and sisters, there are times when we prefer the miracle that we need to the miracle worker. I'm going to say it again because you were just settling in your seats. There are times because of the urgency of our needs and the desperation of our hurts that we prefer the miracle before the miracle worker. Fasting and prayer reverses that order. Because only through desiring the miracle worker can we get the miracle. God's not interested in being a Santa Claus. He's not interested in being some, just a giver. God is interested in a relationship of prayer, of intercession, of love, of interaction, of fellowship. God's not interested in just my Sunday morning affections. He wants a relation. He wants uh, the person, my person. I want his person. Then the miracles flow. And so having come through a week of prayer and fasting and the intensity which many have participated, the level which others have been able to, I I have come to give you some thoughts here about how to progress into your miracle. Because most of the miracles you need during the week of prayer and fasting will not come during that week. During that week, during that day, during that time of your prayer and fasting, Satan's job is to fight you with distractions of hunger and other attacks so that you don't see your miracle and give up. But in this beautiful, wonderful truth of a miracle of Jesus, I see some conditions that I want to share with you, and I pray that we be one in the Spirit. The first of which is, one of the conditions for a miracle is when it is too late. And in Mark, and you, you, your Bible's still open here to this scripture, Mark 6.35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late, too late. The crowd had followed Jesus out of the local towns and cities and countryside because the more they were with Jesus, the more enthralled they were. His words were, were more than impressive. They were life-changing. Can I get an amen? amen? And not only that, in the course of his ministry, he wasn't doing anything for show or publicity. But in the course of his ministry that day, miracles took place in their presence. And they did not want to leave. Can I get another amen? Maybe they got theirs and they were so happy they wanted to celebrate somebody else's. Maybe they didn't get theirs and word went out and the crowd grew. And so as Jesus moved about, the crowd moved about until they were so large, they came to a deserted place, like an open area in the wilderness. And now the hour was late. It was probably late into the evening. The sun is on the way to be set. And and the disciples realized these people are human and they're going to need something to eat. Send them away, verse 36, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. You see, I have come to understand and appreciate the way God works. And I have understood that miracles happen when in the natural, your time clock and mine, the natural, it seems too late. 
When a couple are maybe praying for a child, a baby, and uh, their attempts to, to, uh, to have a baby has not met, been met with, uh, with success. And maybe the womb of the mother-to-be is not fertile to receive the seed. And so it seems like they've tried all they can. They want to have a natural biological union of their child. But now the years are going by and the time clock is ticking. And the possibilities are not as real. And if they were, they would be too risky. Even in those contexts, i.e., example, Abraham and Sarah. He being a hundred years old. She being ninety years old. Example. Elizabeth and Zechariah, who Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Can I get a witness here? I want to tell you the biological clocks for these women and men were too late. But God said to Abraham, you are going to have an heir. God meaning a son, a descendant. God said to Elizabeth that you, a predecessor of the Messiah is coming through your womb. So if it looks late in your clock, it doesn't mean anything to God's clock because God is the God of the miraculous. Amen. You see, Jesus said in Mark 10 and 27, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I remember account in the previous chapter of this book of Mark, chapter 5, of a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus was a ruler in the Jewish church. Known as a synagogue. A leader. He loved God. He gave arms. He helped people. He was, he was very significant in the community. And he heard Jesus was coming by. And he heard it on the heels of his daughter. His 12 year old daughter. Very traumatically to the point of death. At the doors of death sick. And so he went away to find Jesus. Because no one could do anything for his 12 year old daughter. And traveling some distance on foot to find Jesus, he interrupted the gathering that was around Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, if you would come to my house, my daughter, 12 years old, is so sick. She's at the point of death. It's so urgent. Come and touch her and heal her. And Jesus said, I'm going to come. And as Jesus was making his way to this man's house, other people with other emergencies stopped him. And so the, the, the process of Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter to help her was repeatedly delayed by people with needs. Until it was so delayed in Mark 5 and 35, the Bible says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher further? And Jesus heard the word that was spoken to Jairus. Jesus must have seen how Jairus' countenance had fallen. Jesus must have seen how the, the color went out of Jairus' face. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you're a parent and a grandparent, I know I'm going to work this in a lot today, so just get ready. I've been seeing all y'all's photo- photograph and billfold pictures for years. Get ready, Okay. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know what matters most is not so much. Uh, you want your kids to have nice clothes, nice shoes, and nice bike to ride. When they get a car, help them out. But when they are sick, your heart goes out further than anything else, especially when you feel helpless. Can I get an amen? Oh, mama, tell you something. When that Kimberly, she got there at 2.45 on Thursday morning, and the baby came at 6.11 in the evening. And these, these contractions started coming, and she's my little girl, you understand? And when it came to the time, 
time for the delivery. Now, let me just tell you this. I know my place, okay? I'm a husband and a father. I ain't no doctor and I ain't no nurse, okay? I already predetermined her mother was going to be with her and JC's mother was going to be with her and, and JC was going to be with her for delivery. You know, you have all that stuff where folks can come in here, got to qualify and all that stuff. And grandpa could come. No, no, grandpa ain't going there. I, I went over, to, I went over to, to, to my daughter and I held her by the hand while the contractions were strong and she was, she was about 30 minutes away. I said, honey, I'm not leaving you because I don't love you. I'm leaving you because I love you. Because when I hit that floor and pass out, they're going to take attention off of you and they're going to put it on me. And little Junior will, this will happen. But I won't tell you, you know what? I, I saw my little, I saw my little girl and I, I, I began to weep. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Okay. I, I began to weep because I, and then I got out there and I prayed and I prayed. Because when it is your child or your grandchild or flesh of your flesh and blood of your blood and you can't do nothing else, you need a miracle worker. Amen. Jesus saw Jairus' color leave his face when the servant came and said, don't bother Jesus anymore. The child is dead. And here's what Jesus said. Oh, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Only believe. And they hastened to Jairus' house. When they got to Jairus' house, the King James Version says there was a great tumult. T-U-M-U-L-T there. Meaning there was a large uproar of noise of people in the community who found out she was dead and they began to grieve and moan and travail and cry and be very demonstrative because they were weeping with the father and mother. And Jesus said, why are you making all this uproar and noise? The child is not dead. She's asleep. And they laugh Jesus to scorn. Man, we don't even know you. We don't even know your name. Here you are exploiting the parents lost by saying this child, this child's asleep. Just, just go on out of here. Somebody must be thinking about Jesus. But because they had so little faith, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and the mother and father and said, everybody else stay outside. We're going into her room. And the Bible says they found her laying on the bed. Jesus took her by the hand and he said in the Hebrew, Talita Kuma, meaning my child. Rise up. And the word of God said immediately she sat right up and life came into her body and light became into her soul. And she asked for something to eat. And Jesus left that place that day telling people that when it's late on your time clock, when all hope is gone by your time clock, it's never too late when Jesus is in the house. Give him praise. There's another condition whereby you can expect a miracle. You can expect a miracle when you can do nothing about your situation. Verse 37, look at what it says. But he answered and said to them, the disciples who said, it's late. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? If we could take up an offering here for these people, we wouldn't get enough money to feed them. And there's no bakery large enough to feed this crowd. And there's no place we can go if we went from town to town that would be adequate. We, we just don't have. We have nothing we can do. And again, here I want you to see because I want you to get your miracles. Miracles happen when we have exhausted our natural abilities. When we have done all in our power to escape the oncoming attack of Satan. Through our finances, through our marriage, through our bodies, through our jobs. We kind of like the children of Israel. Sometimes life does to us what happened to the children of Israel as they departed Egypt 
headed to the promised land under the leadership of Moses. The Bible said they came to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea was so vast, so wide, so deep, so impossible, that they realized there are no ferry boats to take us through this. There are no bridges. There are no tunnels. About that time, they're realizing their hopelessness in front of them. They heard their hopelessness behind them. Because at that time, Pharaoh changed his mind again about them letting them go. And he released all of his best warriors and his best soldiers and his best chariots and his best riders and his best weapons. And say, go get those Hebrews and Moses and bring them back. And they thought to themselves, the sea is before us and we're dead. And Pharaoh's behind us and we're dead and we can do nothing about it. And just when your life gets there, get ready for a miracle. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about David as a boy. Guarding his father's sheep as a shepherd. So on occasions, wild animals, animals of prey would come and attack his young lambs under his lordship and supervision. On one occasion, a lion came. And you know the story. And stole away with a lamb. But the spirit of God got on this freckle-faced teenage boy. And under the power of God, he chased down the lion, opened his jaws, took the lamb and destroyed the lion. The Bible says on another occasion, by, by David's testimony, a bear did the same thing. And the Spirit of God came on him and the same deliverance happened. You know the other occasion, when Israel was afraid of the Philistine warrior by the name of Goliath. Goliath was nine feet tall. He was strong. He was bold. He was a champion. He had armor and weapon and sword and shield and helmet that outweighed, it weighed more than David did. He, uh, he had so much armor. Goliath did that he had to have one man just to carry the armor but the power of God got on David oh my when Israel said we can't do nothing they ran and hide every time Goliath's voice bellowed in the valley threatening them but oh the power of God came upon him when it looked like things were impossible he started walking down in the valley of Elah to meet the giant Goliath on the way there he stopped by a little babbling brook and picked up about five smooth stones and he had his slingshot ready he dropped one of those stones in the slingshot and started whirling the slingshot over his head and as he approached Goliath he said you come with me with sword, you come against me with sword and shield and spear but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Jehovah and he will give you into my hand today, did God do it? somebody give a Lord a praise here Oh, my, help me, Jesus. You know, if you want to get miracles, you need to be reading about miracles. Did I hear you say amen? If you want miracles, you need to bury your face in the Bible and read about what God has done. It will build your faith. In that same previous chapter where Jairus' daughter as well, one of the reasons Jesus couldn't get to Jairus' daughter as soon as he wanted to was because he was stopped by a woman who had an issue of blood. It's King James' way of saying she had a bleeding hemorrhage. This woman had a bleeding hemorrhage for 12 years, brothers and sisters. 12 years. 12 years, whether she wanted to or not, she would start bleeding uncontrollably. Internal bleeding that led to external pain and external evidence that she was bleeding. And back then, the social circle and the climate and the culture announced somebody who had bleeding as unclean. Especially a woman. You follow me? So she therefore was a social outclass. 
Maybe the only people that had anything to do with her was immediate family. So she had no social network, very few encouragers. And the Bible tells us about this woman that, that in Mark 5, 26, she suffered many things of many physicians. And you, you all know that even the doctors, and, and I appreciate doctors and thank God for them, but they don't always know what to do. I appreciate doctors. I have two, two cousins that are doctors, and I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor, and I thank God for them. But there's a reason why they call it practicing medicine. You ever felt like you've been practiced on? Yeah, I feel the same way. This woman had been practiced on until the Bible said that she suffered many things of many physicians, spent all she had money-wise, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Every time she could get up a little hope and a little money, she'd go see somebody else. Last person she said went to see was hopeless. She'd maybe sell a little pottery vase or jar, make some pottery and sell it and get some money and go to another specialist, another town, try another medicine or herb, and she grew worse. Maybe she'd do a little handcraft and have a little yard sale, get up a little bit more money, and for 12 years, she went from place to place, doctor to doctor, bleeding along the way, and grew worse. But she had this kind of faith. They could do nothing. I can't do nothing. She said to herself, if I could just touch Jesus. I don't have to make an appointment. He don't have to shake my hand. I don't have to get his autograph. You know, we all, in America, we all hero-oriented. Here we are. Yeah. If I can get over to Tulsa and get to that prayer tower, if I can get to New York, yeah, I, I, I love my brothers in ministry. I'm not condemning them. Okay? If Benny Hinn can touch me, or John, or John Hayden can touch me, or Joyce Myers can touch me, or Rod Parsley can touch me, I don't know how much hope there is for me with that short, bald-headed, loud Indian over there in Sharpsburg. So if I could just get over to that personality. We all got our favorite, you know. Let me tell you, the same God that will heal you, listen to me, has to come through Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, Rod Parsley, Alan Matura, and anybody else, okay? Thank God for their ministries. But your healing and your miracle is not tied up in Tulsa or a prayer tower or some tent revival down the road. If you are ready now and you'll trust Him, He's available now. You ought to help me praise the Lord. If I can touch the hem of His garment. She pressed her way through the crowd. I mean, she pressed her way. She was already anemic and weak, and she probably had been bleeding that morning. I feel a whoop glory coming on. The more she pushed in the crowd, because everybody wants to touch Jesus. Can I get an amen? Man, this blind man healer, this leopard cleansing, leopard cleansing man, this sea walker, this, this man who can, who can talk to winds and waves. He is in town! I could see some people pushing her aside, saying, listen, old lady. Go off somewhere and die. I'm young. I deserve to live. Let me through this crowd. You know, people, people are selfish that way. Yeah. We've seen you around. You've been struggling with this stuff for 12 years. Give somebody else a chance. If I could just touch him. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus. Did she touch him? She touched the hem of his garment. The Bible said Jesus felt power go out of him. Who touched me? He said, and she came and fell down at his feet and thought she was going to be rebuked and chastised. But no, that wasn't the case. She was commended and applauded. She said to her, woman, your faith has made you whole. And I want to tell you, God will treat you the same way if you will in your prayer life, if you will in your coming to church, will say, I will touch Jesus. 
And if you will, he can do with you what nothing and nobody else can do for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Here's another thought, please. Miracle or miracles happen when you know the facts. See, God, God gives us the whole truth. We don't deny the facts that you get sick, that your marriage get attacked. That somebody you love gets addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography. We're not got our heads in the clouds so high we act like there's not a problem. The Bible doesn't deny the facts. Mark 6.38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. The fact of the matter is in the last year, two years or six months, some of you have lost your job. You didn't want to. But the economy is at 10 or more percent unemployment. The fact is, I'm speaking to people today, the plant has closed down. And it ain't imaginary. It's taking you from left to right, up and down, trying to find another place to work. Am I right? The fact of the matter is, even though you do your best at the end of the month, because of the fact that you've lost your job and your streams of income have been dammed up or completely gone, the fact is, at the end of the month, you may have more going out than you have coming in. The fact of the matter is, you might have prayed for a year or longer. You did not want this divorce. You didn't ask for it. When you went to the altar, you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. The fact of the matter is, he or she found somebody else or something else has happened. And now the divorce papers have been signed and you are to move on and you don't know what you're going to do. Buddy, with me? The fact is, is that you went to the doctor. They did the biopsy. And the biopsy came back with negative reports. But that doesn't run Jesus off. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The fact of the matter is, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was sick. And a friend of the family was told to go find Jesus. He's a friend of our family. He has visited our house, ate at our table, and he's a friend of ours. And he's in another town. Go find Jesus. Tell him his good friend, Lazarus. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who has waited on you, Jesus, and, and uh, taken care of you and your disciples in ministry. Uh, their brother is so sick he's going to die. The fact is, Jesus said, okay, we'll go later. The fact is, Jesus came four days later. The fact is, he died. Not only was he dead, they had the memorial service. The fact is, right after the memorial service, they did their ancient form of embalming. And they put in, in, in ointments and perfumes and spices and take strips of cloth and wrapped them from head to toe, as you would see in the Egyptian mummified kind of way of burial. And they put cloth and fragrance and glue-like things until it, his whole body was in a sort of a body cast from the top of his head to his feet. The fact of the matter is, Jesus comes four days later. And Mary runs out to see him and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. I'm here now, Jesus said. The fact of the matter is, Jesus said, roll the stone away. What does that mean? They had buried him after they embalmed him. And the burial back then for that culture was to find a place, a rock place, a cave-like place on the side of a mountain. And families would purchase a cave or so. And it would be the burial place for their family. 
And they would put their loved ones in over the years. And everyone that they put and buried, they'd roll the stone, seal it, close it until they were needed. Another burial was needed for another family member, three, five, ten years or whatever it is. And they'd unseal and they'd put the other body in there and bomb and seal it again. That's what, that's what it did with Lazarus. The fact is, he's sick. He died. They embalmed him. They buried him. It was four days. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. And, and, and Martha's response was, uh, Lord, by this time, there is a stench. For he's been dead four days. It, bad smells going on here, God. And, and I appreciate you, you know, Lord, Lord but, uh, but it, 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 it is not only too late. And there's nothing anybody can do. But the facts are before us. And Jesus said to her, didn't I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I could see some pointed nose up in the air, sophisticated Jews that day saying, look how Jesus, the teacher, is exploiting the pain of these two sisters, telling us to roll the stone away. And... His body is smelling. These girls have cried. Where, were, where was Jesus when they needed him? They've cried and they've wept waiting for him to come. And now he is rehearsing their pain by opening the grave. What kind of... <laughs> you know why some of us don't get our miracles? Because we got a certain way God's going to do it. We're going to tell him how to do it. And he don't do it our way. We don't need him. The business of God is not to explain to Alan Matura or anybody else his business. My business is if I would believe, I would get to see the glory of God. Jesus stood outside that tomb on the side of a hill that was the burial place, maybe about 40, 50 feet or yards away. And he yelled, Lazarus, come forth. I like what one preacher said, and you know what I'm going to say next. Had he just said, come forth, every dead person would have come out of every tomb and the whole place. Somebody knows he has that power. Say amen. amen. The Bible says Lazarus came out of there, and because he was mummified, he couldn't move his arm. He came on. Well, he ain't no good to nobody, but Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And he was healed and resurrected because even though the facts are before us, faith gives the miracle. Amen, Amen, church. Oh, hallelujah. Let let me show you something else. You know what? You know how else you get your miracle? Your miracle takes place when you obey divine orders. Look at Mark 6 and 39. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. When we decide to obey the Lord. When we get in God's plan. If, you, if you're grouchy, complaining, fussing all the time about what God ain't doing, what God ain't doing, what God ain't doing. You're going to be very far from a miracle. Why is he having them sit down? Why is he dividing them 50? Why are we going through all this? You know. That doesn't produce miracles. Grumbling, mumbling, false finding, complaining, fussing, and cussing does not bring miracles. Good preaching, Grandpa. Yeah! <laughs> James one twenty two. Write down this reference. James 1, but be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 
I, I got to tell you this. Uh, a small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains some years ago, they built a new sanctuary on a piece of land that a member of the church donated to the church. Well, ten days before the new sanctuary was to be dedicated and opened, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot for this new church was inadequate in its size. Therefore, until the church doubled the size of the parking lot, they would not be able to use a new sanctuary. Unfortunately, the church with its undersized lot had used every inch of their land except their mountain that was back against the property and the building that they built. In order to get more parking spaces, true story, they would have to move the mountain from the backyard. Okay, you already know where I'm going, girl. Be quiet. I love you and I'm only teasing you, girl. The pastor was undaunted. This kind of pastor I'm going to be. The pastor announced that next Sunday morning, he would, be, he would meet that evening with all the members of the church who had mountain-moving faith. Now, they were ten days away. So the Sunday came and he, he said, tonight we're going to hold a prayer session and we're going to ask God to remove the mountain from the backyard and to somehow provide enough money to have it paved and painted before the scheduled opening dedication service the following week. Now, at the appointed time that evening of the call to prayer, 24 of the congregation's 300 members assembled for prayer. Mm -hmm. They prayed for nearly three hours that evening, and about 10 o'clock, the pastor said the final amen. And before he dismissed the church and those 24 praying people, mountain-moving praying people, he said, we will open next Sunday as scheduled. God has never let us down, and I believe he will be faithful this time too. And they went home. The next Monday, the day after Sunday, now they are seven days or so away from dedication. That Monday morning, pastor was working in the study, and there came a loud knock on the door. And when he called and said, come in, a big, rough-looking construction foreman appeared, removing his hard hat as he came into the office. He said, excuse me, Reverend, I'm from so-and-so construction company over in the next county from this. We are building a huge new shopping mall over there, and we need some field dirt. Uh, Pastor, would you be willing to sell us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? Pastor, we'll pay for the dirt. We'll remove it and pave, pave all the exposed area free of charge if we can have it right away today. You see, Pastor, we need it right away because we can't do anything else on that new mall until we get the dirt in and it settles on the property. Well, I must tell you that the little church was dedicated the next Sunday as originally planned. And there were far more members with mountain-moving faith on the opening Sunday than there had been the previous Sunday. Now, for you, for you get too happy too soon, I'm going to ask you something here. Would you have shown up for that first prayer meeting? I believe you would, Kay. I believe many of you would. Here's the point. Here's what you've got to get your mind fixed on. Some people say faith comes from miracles. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. Faith does not come from miracles. Miracles come from having faith in God first. Come on. When we obey. God, I've prayed this uh, uh, so many times. I don't know if I'd pray anyhow. When we are at our last ten bucks and the pastor comes up and says we need to help Haiti. And God says give it all. When we obey. Can I get an amen? amen? You've been hurt by somebody's words and attitudes and actions. And the Lord says forgive them. And we say but they haven't apologized and they haven't said they're sorry. God says forgive anyhow. Miracles come when we obey. But you know all of us have been given blessings by God before. Say Amen. And so here's the fifth condition. Miracles happen when Jesus blesses our substance. In Mark 6, 41, when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the bread. I want you to see this. I want you to understand that we all have gifts, talents, abilities, resources. In order to get our miracle, we got to give it to God. Just like God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses said, I can't lead Israelites. I can't speak their language. I can't even go back to Egypt because the last time I was in Egypt, I was a wanted man. Isn't that true? What do you have in your hand, son? What have I blessed you? Well, I got this staff that I've been leading my father-in-law's sheep for the last 40 years like a lost man in the desert. He said, when you get over to Pharaoh's throne room, you just throw down that rod. Anybody with me here, somebody? <laughs> I feel a what glory coming on. But I'm a refined preacher and I won't make myself a show. <laughs> when he got in front of Pharaoh, what did he do? Throw it down on the ground and it turned into a serpent. And as Pastor Jeff said, uh, teaching us on prayer last Wednesday, the Hebrews, uh, uh, they, they were, of course, uh, reluctant for Moses to leave. But the miracles God performed in front of them, they were ready. But then Pharaoh's uh, magicians and sorcerers and quacks did some miracles just like Moses until they got to the place where they could not. You, you, this, this rod is all he had. Well, they started out when they got to the Red Sea. When they got to the Red Sea and they couldn't cross, what did God say to Moses? What do you got in your hand? He took that rod, held it up over the Red Sea, and all night long the wind blew and blew and blew from blue and blue until it parted the waters of the Red Sea in such a vast path and a wide area until there were dry ground and walls of water. Because whatever you have, even if it's a rod in your hand and you have faith in God, if you will let God bless and use what little you have, Little is much if God is in it. Yeah. I can't sing. Sing anyhow. I can't give. Give something anyhow. I can't help. Bake a cake. Buy a cake. Go to the nursing home. Go to the hospital. Do an email. Send, a, send some kind of text mail. Encourage somebody. Can I get an amen? But pastor, I need to be encouraged. Fully on that. Find somebody hurting. Find somebody lost. Find somebody needing some love. And pour a little oil in their vessel. I'm talking to me and I'm talking to you. Quit singing them old dead beat. No good. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll just eat worms. Some of your favorite artists singing songs will kill you quicker than the food you eat. Some of the songs you're listening to. I'm grateful for everybody's doing all they can for Haiti. You know? I'm grateful for that. But I 
being at the hospital on Friday evening and, you know, being in and out and all. You know, saw this little bit of that, uh, of the Haiti Relief Telethon and all the musicians. And I don't mean no disrespect to Haiti, but I'm just making a point. A few of them people singing on that telethon, I said to somebody beside me, if they'd shut up, I'd give money for Haiti. <laughs> Got tears in my ears from laying on my back crying over you. Who cares? <laughs> kind of stuff we listen to and ask God to bless. Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. Well, that's a stupid song because they don't call it a quarter anymore for a phone call. It costs 50 cents or a dollar. <laughs> call on Jesus. Did you hear me? Sing a new song. Sing some scriptures. Give me an amen, somebody. Make up a new tune. Remember what God did yesterday. And he's the same of tomorrow and the next day. I, I, got, I got to hurry. I got miracles take place when we give what comes from God. This bread and fish. Well, no accident that they had it that day. Some, some little, somebody may, um, a boy with a sack lunch going to school, got distracted by the crowd and went on with Jesus. Well, no accident. But he gave his lunch to Jesus. Peter and John left the temple. Pardon me. Were headed to the temple at the hour of prayer in the book of Acts. They just a few days came away from the upper room experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2. They were full of the anointing and boldness and power. And they came to the, one of the gates of the temple where beggars were allowed to beg for arms. And uh, this beggar who had been placed there because he was helpless, paralyzed, maybe from youth or maybe born paralyzed. Rain or cold, whatever, he was there because that was his only means of support. He had nobody to get him out of the cold or the rain. Everybody's busy to come back later about five or six o'clock on the way home and take him home. But until then, whatever the elements were and whatever treatment's there, if you got, if you got some coins, fine. If you got a piece of bread or fish, whatever, it's, it's you. He looked up to Peter and John as they were about to enter the temple, the gate called Beautiful. And he said, he asked for alms. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. We don't have money on us. But not a few days ago, God gave us the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the upper room. And we're filled with the Spirit of God and gave us boldness. And so he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'll share. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said he stood up, and not just stood up, but he went running and leaping and praising the Lord. Yeah, praise him with your hands. Lastly, miracles come when we continue in God's plan. They fed, the Bible said that day, God, Jesus prayed over the loaves and fishes, and everybody was fed and filled. And they took up 12 baskets full. There's all kinds of a speculation on why 12 and what went with it. All kinds of uh, attempts to describe it. I don't have the, the facts about what happened with the 12 baskets. Except I like to think about some possibilities. Somebody says, well, there's a basket for every one of the, the apostles or the disciples that day because they helped Jesus. I, I really don't think so. No, they doubted Jesus. And, and let me make another observation. That wasn't their lunch anyhow. They didn't give the five of those two fishes. 
But somewhere in the crowd, little Johnny gave his lunch. <laughs> and 12 baskets were left over. Now, it wasn't for the 12 baskets. When Johnny got home that night and told his mother he hadn't been to school, she'd been looking for him all day. She couldn't text him. She couldn't find him. She, well, you know, didn't have it. He was going to have his seat of understanding. The board of education applied to his seat of understanding. Well, Johnny comes home now, and Mama's at the door, and it's dark. What? Where you been? Oh, wait just a minute, Mama. Uh, you guys, you, you all come on in the house. Basket number one. Basket number two. Basket number three. Yeah, that was Johnny's lunch. When you give your offerings, you are the recipient of blessings. When you give your time, God gives you blessings. When you sow, you reap. Basket number ten. Uh, uh, Johnny, what you doing tomorrow, boy? <laughs> Where Jesus going to be there? I believe that he got all the food. And God just began it all over. Here's, here's what I'm saying to you. Do not take your blessings and turn them into curses by failing to continue to walk with God. When God gives you that baby and that grandbaby, take them to the house of God. When gives you, God gives you that job you've been praying for, take 10% called a tithe and tithe to God. When God heals your body, brings you through a bad situation, come to the church and to the house and say, what can I render unto God for all his benefits? When God saves your marriage, when God gets that son or that daughter or somebody from the wrong crowd, from drugs, from alcohol, from jail, come to the house of God and continue on. Now listen to me, what I found out about this week of prayer and fasting. It's not over because we're still in warfare. In order to get our answers, we've got to continue with prayer and fasting. It don't have to be a whole week, but you may have to fast a day. For six, eight, or ten weeks, one day a week, or one meal a, a week. Because you have to keep pressing and pursuing and continuing. The last thing the devil wants is somebody else shouting how good God is. Wouldn't it be great if you could pull up to the gas tank on the first day of January, fill up your car, and drive for the rest of the year? Can I get a witness here? Huh? Wouldn't it be great if you go to work one week in January, the first week in January, and the boss sends you paychecks for the next 52 weeks every week, and you never had to show up again? How many know if you had that kind of job, all of us won't know where that is? Huh? Wouldn't it be great if we could eat one, one week a meal in January and have to mess with the stuff for the rest of the year? I'm saying in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. You've got to do warfare, warfare, warfare. If you don't get your miracle, continue. Pray, fast, read, pray, fast, read, love, forgive, and bless. And oh God, you're going to have baskets you can't even give away. Stand up, everybody. After you stood up and put your Bibles down, give a Lord some praise. Give a Lord some praise. Put the last slide on the screen for me. The last slide. Come on, help me give a Lord some praise. Blessed Jesus. All right. If that's you, if any of that is you, and you're ready for your miracle. If for you it seems too late, for you you can't do anything, you know the facts, but you're ready to obey God, and you're ready to let God bless your substance, oh my, 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 and you're going to continue on. If you say, Pastor, I ain't got it yet, but I'm announcing to the devil and his demons that I am not signing off on no miracle. I am coming to praise God anyhow. Come from where you are. Come in this altar. Clap somebody. Clap. Come on. You want to play and sing something? Come on. Oh, come on. Come on from everywhere. After you come, go ahead and give the Lord. Come on. Come on. I'm ready for my miracle. Look what the Lord has done. Here we go. Look what the Lord has Keep coming. Come on. Come on. You want a miracle? It's free. But you got to believe. He touched my mind. He saved me. It was just in time. Come on. Each day is just the same. 
this morning I was listening to I do every Sunday morning the Lutheran Hour it's a radio broadcast presented by the Lutheran Church the nomination and it was about 10 to 7 I tried to get here about 7 o'clock and uh, there, were, there was a conversation uh, discussion taking place uh, but before I tell you that uh, by the way every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock a couple of people ladies meet here for prayer every Sunday morning at 7 and uh, they said for me to tell you all the church that if anybody wants to join them one Sunday a month or, or once every six weeks the power you feel right here <laughs> we didn't throw pixie dust on the carpet Just somebody prayed it down somebody prayed it up so if you ever want to come on Sunday morning and spend an hour and then go back home and come back at 9 or 10 o'clock just stay but there was a, there's a in this Lutheran hour the uh, host and the, the speaker were discussing a question that they, they, they uh, take questions from the audience, the radio audience, that's email, text, or mail to them. And this businessman had written in and asked this question, and he prepared himself the question by, by giving these kinds of explanations. He said, I'm a businessman, I'm a Christian, I go from town to town in my business, and many weekends I have to be away from home, so I worship in different places, different cities, different churches. And he said, almost every church I go to, when I walk in, the greeters are sad. When I come in, the ushers are sad. When I sit beside the people, they're sad. When I go and we observe the Lord's table, and some churches do that every Sunday, communion, people go from the Lord's table back to their seats sad. The choir sad, and the pastor sad. He said, it seems to be a common plight in most of the churches I go to. Why is that? Is that what we're supposed to be? And, and, and you know where I'm going with this, okay? Because we exude whatever attitude or frame of mind we have. And that sadness, that downness, that loss, that helpless feeling is contagious. But so is that happy, glad, joyful, even though I know the facts. I know the facts that I've got to go to the doctor next week. I know the facts that, uh, that I have some situation regarding my job. I know the facts. But you know what? I'm here today. I'm alive. Jesus has brought me to the house. And I'm just going to praise Him. I'm going to be happy. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, and the, 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 they were discussing and trying to give an answer. And the answer is this. is they that sow in tears, as many of you did this week, shall reap in joy. The answer is weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. 
The answer is, the answer is, I'm not going to praise God based on what I feel or what I see alone. I'm going to praise God in faith. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Just in time. And so I'm saying to you, my answer and your answer is not contingent on whether Lewis or David or Elvis or Phil worships. My answer is contingent on whether Alan Matura worships or not. Look what the Lord has done. Let's do it again. We're going to worship. Well, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. We worship. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me. prayer list I had this week. This is my prayer list. I told you to write yours down. I got this copy of this in that box. This is what I fasted and prayed over this week. Some of it not yet answered, but number one on the list was Kimberly and Lakeland, grandson. Yeah, yeah. I got some of your names on here, and it's good. It's good. It's all good. I'm going to protect that. Until all of it comes. I'm going to brood over it and breathe over it. But you know what? I'm the greatest thing I'm going to do. I'm going to praise over it. I want 60 seconds of praising God. Start right now. Lift up your hands. Raise your voices. 55 seconds left. Praise Him out loud. Come on, Dabaka. Shut up. 50 seconds left. That's all you got. Praise the Lord. I praise you. I praise you. I love you. I thank you for healing my body. I thank you for cleansing my mind. I thank you for saving me. You got about 35 seconds left. I praise you for my children. I praise you for my grandchild. I praise you for my wife. I praise you for my husband. I praise you for my mother. I praise you for my father. I praise you for my child. I praise you for my healing. You got about 15 seconds left. I'm going to do it because it's right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This ain't orthodox. It's not the typical high church greeting. The high church greeting is a little sophisticated. But we're going to break away from the high church greeting and ask you to give somebody a high five. Come on. Give somebody. About five people around you. Come on. Give them a high five. Come on. Bless somebody. Now go your way. God.